What's going on, everybody? Wesley Shoemaker back today with another episode of the Blue Gold Sports Podcast. Today, I am joined by Ethan Bach of West Virginia Sports Now, my good friend who I've worked with for a couple of years now, and we preview Big 12 uh, play for West Virginia men's basketball. So that is the podcast today, and we appreciate you listening. What's going on, everybody? I am joined by Ethan Bach of West Virginia Sports Now, who covers West Virginia men's basketball, to preview the upcoming Big 12 portion of West Virginia's schedule. So first off, Ethan, kind of just how you doing today and your overall impressions of West Virginia through their non-conference portion of the schedule? I'm good, Wesley. Thank you for having me on. Um, like you, I think we're both shocked that West Virginia is competing very well so far through about 12 games. So curious how they do it in Big 12 play. Um, it's definitely going to be a roller coaster. It's not going to be it's not going to be all sunshine and rainbows like it was in non-conference for the most part. So it's going to be interesting. Yeah, for me, I just think that this conference is obviously very, very tough. And you can see that by all these teams being ranked inside the top, what is it, 62 in the net, five of them ranked in the AP Top 25, West Virginia cracking the AP Top 25. But I'll go start with this. What was your the biggest thing that you kind of saw West Virginia struggle with or possibly the biggest thing that stuck out in a bad way to you through their first 12 games this season? I think it was definitely the rebounding and um, the big man depth for sure. Both games they've lost, Purdue and Xavier. You had guys like Trey Mitchell, Jimmy Bell, Mo Wagee, um, all deal with foul trouble, which then leads to having James Okongwo having to come in and produce big-time minutes as a sophomore who didn't play at all really last year. So biggest biggest thing was a big man depth, which ties into the rebounding issue. They're about 260th in the country in rebounding, easily their worst strength. Uh, pretty sure Stony Brook, Stony Brook tied West Virginia in rebounding when they played. They out-rebounded so. them for most of the game too. I think. yeah, yeah. You would never, you would never think West Virginia get out-rebounded by Stony Brook, but they did pretty much. So that's those are the two biggest issues I've had with their team this year. Um, if they can, if they can get guys like Jimmy Bell, Trey Mitchell, Moagie, if those guys can kind of manage their fouls, no stupid fouls. You're going to you're gonna get in foul trouble as a big man. It's going to happen. Um, but just being able to manage that, also that's also on the coaching staff. How does Hugs manage the rotation? Do they play small with Trey at the five? Do they play big, um, have two guys like Jimmy and Mo in at the same time or Trey and uh, Jimmy in at the same time? It's just interesting. I think you just got to make sure that you're not relying on James Okongwo to come in and produce and have to uh, hold his own at the five spot for majority of the game. Do you think it – I my whole theory for this has been you can't also have Trey Mitchell play the five for an extended period of time just because he – I just don't think that's within his skill set to try and play the five. I think he's best at a, at a four, and we've seen him, especially against Xavier, struggle to rebound the ball. So, obviously, if you go back to earlier in the year when they played Pitt, Trey Mitchell was at the five for an extended period of time, but do you think that's something that they could do? Would you like to see them go with Trey Mitchell over a Conquo? Because personally, I think you've got to put in James there just because he adds length on the inside, and you're going to be dealing with some big dudes when you get into Big 12 play. Yeah, I think I think you can go either way. Trey Mitchell, he's a four. He's a he's a power forward, traditional power forward. He's a wing. He's a he's he plays the four. His natural position is not to play the five. That's why. That's why he left Texas. That's why I didn't work with Chris Beard last year. So 
I don't think I don't think it's really a bad thing to throw him at the five because he's dealt with that in the Big Twelve. Um, it could go it could go better than James Okonkwo has uh, done so far. I think he struggled at times trying to hold his own. Obviously, only played a few games last year. James does have a lot of length and he can rebound the ball, but at times he misses assignments. So I think just having that veteran presence like Trey at the five is not a bad third option behind Jimmy Mo. So you can go either way with it. I also think Trey then adds that versatility on offense where you can start spreading guys out because Trey can obviously step behind the three-point line. And then you have, theoretically, if Trey's at your five, you have five dudes who can make a three-point shot at any given time. And at that point, you're also then leaving driving lanes open to the rim. But kind of to flip off that, what's the thing that's surprised you the most in a good way? For this team so far shooting easily easily shooting looking at this team on paper in october i thought this team would win games with defense i was clearly wrong so far they win games with offense scoring about 82 83 points a game eric stevenson is shooting roughly 48 percent from three didn't expect that emmett matthews 40 percent from three didn't expect that um, there's a lot like there even like guys like Joe and Keedy, I didn't expect to shoot well, and they're shooting they're shooting much way way more than what I thought they were gonna shoot uh, heading into the season. So yeah, shooting shooting's definitely and specifically three point shooting, perimeter shooting is what I'm most surprised with this year. Yeah, for me, for me, I I'm gonna go with just Keedy in general. I think Keedy's ability to score the ball has been a very welcome surprise for this team last year. I was looking this up today. Last year, Keedy scored more than 10 points four times. This year, he's already done it six times in 12 games. So if you can kind of get that production on a higher level of competition in Big 12 play, and obviously there's going to be days where Eric doesn't shoot well, where Emmett's not going to be there, or where Trey's not – like not all, every guy's obviously going to have his – his being his bag, as they say, every game. So I think having Keedy, who has been there, done that, what, two, three times now in, in Big 12 play, is going to be something that West Virginia can really look to, not only on defense, but now also on offense, too. What do you think? Yeah, I'm surprised by Keedy as well. Um, he's definitely, Coach Huggins said he's worked on his game in the offseason on offense, and it's shown. I mean, he tied his career high the other the other game. Um, same with Joe. Um, I'm I'm surprised that Joe's coming off the bench. He's truly embraced the six man role, averaging a little under eleven points per game. That's the beauty of this team, though. There's not really like each guy that they've brought in from the transfer portal, and then you throw in Keedy into this group as well. So you got five guys that truly know what their role is. Like Eric's the vocal leader, Emmett's the leader leader. He's the guy that keeps everybody in line. And you guys and then you have guys like Trey you can just get a basket on all three levels of the floor. And then Joe and Keedy are your glue guys. They're your scrappy little guards that can get to the paint, find an open man, play defense. Joe's truly embraced that six-man role, which has really helped a lot. And I think that's something that's that was missing from last year's team. I thought Malik Curry played six-man role well. Um, but at times he needed to step up and really get baskets for the team last year. And I feel like Joe doesn't have as much pressure as Malik did. I also think, though, that Joe doesn't have as much pressure, obviously, because there's so many guys around him that can space the floor and make shots. And I think Joe knows that he's needed most on defense, trying to add ball pressure, trying to harass an opposing guard, as well as then 
facilitate for this offense, not necessarily score. And we can see that Joe has the ability to score the ball if left open, if given the opportunity. It's just that he's not needed in that role. And when you can kind of have a more relaxed shooter, in a sense, someone who you know you can rely on, and then you don't have to turn to him, I think like that, that, like the depth on this team is ridiculous to me, especially if you want to look at last year's team. Last year you had Taz and Sean, and that was pretty much it. JB would be there some days, but other than that, especially on you had no interior presence on the offensive or really on the defensive end. So now you have one through five who can go get you some. Jimmy Bell is starting to turn into like turn the corner and really develop into what Hugs and company thought he could, and you also have Moagi who is making shots at a high rate and is showing his ability at translating from the Juco level as well. Yeah, I think this year's team's biggest strength other than the shooting so far is their death. I said I said the big men death was their weakness, but just overall as a team, they have a one they have one through ten that would be that would beat somebody else's one through ten. Last year's team didn't have that. Last year's team was just like throw your best five guys out there. It seems like this year, Hugs is saying, screw that. I'm going to beat your best 10 with my best 10 or beat your best 13 with my best 13. Hugs literally will go 14, 15 deep off the bench if he wants to. He's done it. He's done it already a few games. So that's that's their biggest strength is their bench is how much depth they, how much depth they have compared to other teams that they've played so far. It, it's telling. Once Jimmy Bell gets fatigued, once he's – once he's slow to get up the floor, throw Mo in, throw James in. Um, and that goes for anybody that gets tired. They have they have just have another guy off the bench that can produce. And to that point, though, I feel like, from my opinion, is we've seen Huggins kind of be in a more relaxed role than he has in past years while he's on the sideline. Do you think that he, he probably will shorten rotations, but how – who do you see that could possibly make an impact who we might not think about and who might somehow see minutes and make use of those minutes going forward? Oh, easily Seth Wilson. I'm really impressed with uh, Seth Wilson's development over the the first 12 games. Last year you saw it a little bit in Big 12 play uh, against Baylor in Waco, hit a couple shots. And we're slowly seeing that again this year where he comes off the bench and then he hits three, four shots now. And it's a it's a lot because he's shooting he's, – he's either shooting deep twos or he's shooting threes. So he's shooting all these perimeter shots, and once he gets hot, he's going to keep shooting them. So him going three for three against uh, Stony Brook from the three-point line, that was perfect because it was within a stretch of him coming off the bench that it, it carried the momentum to where they could go on an actual run and just run away with it. So Seth Seth's development into his sophomore year has been great. Um, I think – I know Coach Huggins has mentioned that he wants to get more playing time. I don't know how much time he's going to be able to find for him um, just with all the guards. But if he continues to play the minutes that he's playing and he has a game or so here and there where he's coming off the bench scoring near double figures, it'll be great for the team. Yeah, I feel like if Seth can kind of sit in that – six-point range every game and do what the, he has to do and just carry minutes to get guys a break because when you get into late January, early February, there's going to be guys that are playing serious minutes twice a week, almost 
and if it's like one of those Saturday Mondays and it's a Monday and you're going to someone need someone to step up. And I certainly agree with you that Seth can do that kind of transitioning though, to the big 12 as a whole, obviously we know how good it is, but for you, what do you think is going to be the biggest issue for West Virginia when it comes to big 12 play? I think the biggest issue is when they need to answer a team's run. Um, Eric Stevenson's brought that up midway through uh, non-conference play. They really weren't hitting the mouth yet. Um, they really didn't have a team go on a run on them, and then they dealt with that with Purdue and Xavier. Like they've they've had they've had games where they've had to answer a team's run. They even had to deal with that against Stony Brook. So I think just adjusting. I just think adjusting to the Big Twelve play. I mean, most of these guys know what they're getting into with the Big Twelve. Even the guys that are transferring in, like Joe and Eric. Um, they know what they're going to deal with. Obviously, Trey and Emmett have played in the Big 12. Keaty's played in the Big 12. Like, that's that's huge. Um, I felt like guys last year kind of had all had to step up in a way and have different roles, uh, even if they played in the Big 12. And now I feel like these guys on this team now have less pressure, I guess, because they know their role and they they accept their role. There's no there's no dramatics when it's co- when it comes to them accepting their role. So. I think just the biggest thing for them is just getting used to the Big 12, just in conference play, dealing with teams on the road, going on runs. How can they answer? Who's the guy they go to? There's a lot of questions with that, with them answering a run, but it's just how it's just how their development of, of a team is going to last until until uh, Selection Sunday. Yeah, I think a good point you make is the transfers that West Virginia has in their experience because there was – guys that they brought in, Damon Kerrigan, those types of Malik Curry, those types of guys last year that they had experience, but they had never played in a power five schedule. Joe Toussaint, he was in a in the Big Ten, Eric Stevenson, SEC. So these guys have played these high caliber teams and played these hard schedules. And I think going from that to the Big Twelve is a lot easier than going from one of these smaller conferences, one of these mid majors to the Big 12, and I think that's something that you're going to probably see come late January, early February, when you kind of get into that grind of the Big 12 where it, it like where it's punishing, and you're playing really good teams night in and night out, but you're going to have guys who not don't obviously have the exact Big 12 experience, but they have the experience of playing at this level of basketball for a sustained period of time. Yeah, um, I'm not worried about any of these guys adapting to the conference, most of them have either played in the Big 12 or have played in a Power 5 conference. I like your point about Malik Damon coming from mid-major conferences. It take it takes a lot to to get used to the Big 12. It does. It's going to take it's going to take a few road games in Lawrence, Lubbock, Waco, uh, Ames, like all those tough environments. Um, it, it's tough to get used to, and uh, you know, like. You know, there's only a few guys that you can think of that haven't played in the Big 12 at all or have had any any of that Power 5 experience, and that's Jimmy, Jimmy Bell, Moagie, um, Pat Sumanik. Yeah, most of these guys have played in a Power 5 conference, so I don't, think, I don't think there's anything that West Virginia fans should be worried about with that. Another topic on Big 12 play, obviously Texas. They're a top-10 team right now. Uh, head coach Chris Beard got into – some off-the-court issues earlier this month. 
do you think him not coaching them will have an impact on them going forward in Big 12 play? Because I think that although they are a really good team, I just think having that kind of distraction in the back of their heads will possibly get to a breaking point at some point in Big 12 play and hurt them. What do you think? Yeah, um, I'm a little concerned about Texas just off of, well, that obvious of Chris Beard being out. Um, I'm also a little worried because they they tend to, Texas as a team tends to get ranked high, start off really well during the season, and then they hit a point where they have a bad loss and then everything just goes down the drain. Then, Then they're like, then their seed line just drops and drops and drops. I feel like this happens every year, regardless of this is Shaka Smart or Chris Beard uh, recently, especially. Um, I'm surprised so far how the duo of Tyrese Hunter and Marcus Carr has worked out. Just having two guys, two little small guards that both need the ball. They both have high usage rates. Um, I'm shocked how well that's worked so far. I think Texas is a top 15 team in the country. I think they're ranking. They deserve their ranking. What they're at right now, top ten. But I just think in the end, they'll end up being kind of a little bit further down that top twenty-five list. As far as Chris Beard goes, obviously, I don't think he's going to be coaching for a while. So they're just going to have to get used to not having Beard. And honestly, that might not be a distraction in a few weeks once they know for sure he's not going to be coaching for him for the rest of the year. And for all we know, it could bring them closer together as they know that there's going to be a lot of outside noise about Chris Beard, about the state of the Texas men's basketball program. And if Texas does let him go, that's a midseason coaching change. And who knows the effects that could have. A couple more things on Big 12 play here. What do you think? Who's, who's your pick? Who's your pick to win the Big 12? Kansas. Kansas. Easily. There, there's nobody else that is on the same tier with them. Kansas is on tier one. And then Texas and Baylor are on tier two. And then literally from four to 10, everybody else is on tier three. I don't think there's any bad team in the Big 12. I also don't think there's any, there, I don't think there's many good teams, like great teams. I think, I think Kansas is really the only great team. Baylor and Texas are going to have high seeds. West Virginia has the potential to have a high seed. Uh, teams like Iowa State, Texas Tech, Kansas State, even. They were they're going to have middle seed lines, but as far as the conference goes, Kansas Kansas should this is Kansas's conference to lose. Jalen Wilson has taken that leap. Um, that's that's that was much needed after losing Ochai Abaji. Um and then just freshman Grady Dick. He's come on averaging over fifteen a game, and then you have him and Wilson. Who Wilson's going to be Wilson could very well be the conference player of the year. Um, you should be so far. So this is Kansas to lose. They're they're an all, overall great team. Um, unless unless they have like a mid season disaster where they have injuries or distractions, I don't see them. I don't see them not winning the conference. Yeah, I agree with you. I think Kansas is just head and shoulders above the rest of the Big Twelve talent wise, and I think talent wins out in some of these types of games just when you have those dudes that can go get you a bucket that can get a stop in crunch time. And Kansas has that. And a lot of teams just don't have that type of talent depth. A lot of teams in the big 12 have one or two guys who are really, really good, but they don't have three, four, five, six guys that are really, really good. And Kansas does. I'm also going with Kansas. 
Now on West Virginia, how many games do you think they win in the Big 12 Conference, and how many games do you think they have to win in the Big 12 Conference to make the tournament as they sit at 10-2 and two right now? I think I'll, I'll answer the second question first because it can transition a little bit easier into the first question. But I think I think if they win seven conference games, and that includes that includes the Big Twelve tournament. So so seven total that, games between the eighteen and then however many they yep. play in Kansas City. Okay. Yep. I think just seven seven gets you into the conversation. I don't think it gets you in. I think seven gets you into the conversation. Seven could get you into Dayton in the first four. I think eight between the 18 conference games in the Big 12 tournament, eight Big 12 wins can comfortably get you into the field. So if they're sitting at if they're sitting at 18 wins by selection Sunday, there's a chance they play a day in, they play in Dayton, but there's also a chance to get an outright uh at large 11 seed. So honestly, I as long as there's no seven game losing streaks like last year, I really don't think West Virginia should worry. Um they they have the talent and they have the vet they actually have veteran leadership this year it seems like and we've talked about their strengths and weaknesses already so it would just be overdoing it but i think i think they win 10 i think they go 10 and 8 in the big 12 um if they handle they just need to handle the non texas baylor and kansas group just handle that handle the rest of the conference at home and you have six wins right there Will they win? Will they win all those games? Probably not. They'll probably go four and two, five and one against the rest of the field. But what matters, what's going to matter the most, is those six games between Texas, Kansas, and Baylor. If they can steal a couple of those, that's going to help a lot. It seemed like last year they couldn't steal any big time games. So I, I'm saying ten and eight when it's all said and done. The Big Twelve. Yeah, I also went with ten and eight just because I think this team will really play well at home. I think. You're going to like last year, even you got really good crowds for a team that was scuffling big time. And I think this year there is a a newfound energy within the program, within that building that there really wasn't last year for really any of the year. And I think now that you have a team that there's guys that people love, that fans love and they love the fans back and they play hard and they kind of play this brand of basketball that's likable, that's watchable, that's easy to root for and they're good on top of that I think that's going to translate well at home I I do think that between the as you talked about between Kansas Baylor and Texas at home I I think they get two of those wins I just think between Baylor and Kansas early in the year I just think you snatch one of those Um, obviously there's going to be the big storyline of Jalen Bridges coming back to West Virginia for the Baylor game and then I think that Texas is beatable and I think that Morgantown is a hard place to play, and no matter how bad West Virginia was last year, it's still they these teams still have to go across the country into a hostile environment, play a really good team at the end of the day when it's all said and done, and it's hard to do that no matter if you're Kansas or if you're Iowa State or if you're Kansas State. So I have ten and eight. I think this team protects home court for the most part. And then I think they have the ability to go get a couple wins on the road here and there. I think they probably win one out of their two this weekend, uh, head back to Morgantown one-on-one in Big 12 play. And then you never know. They could steal a couple here and there on the road. They've done it before against top 10 Texas Tech teams, top 10, top 15 teams against Texas. So I could easily see them go 10-8 and and get into the tournament as a top 7-6 seed. 
Yeah, the the biggest the biggest key is the road games. They didn't they didn't they really didn't have any road success at all last year. Like going into the pick pick game this year, they were on a ten game road losing streak. So all those all those Big Twelve road games are gonna matter. You gotta win at Kansas State. You have to win at Oklahoma State. Like these next two games are honestly must win games for West Virginia, just based on you coming home and you automatically have to go play Kansas and Baylor back to back. So if they can if they can knock off a few of these road games, even if you get two or three, it's not you don't need to you don't need to beat every single team or most teams in the conference on the road. Just get a few. Like this is the beauty of the Big Twelve. You can lose games and you will still have a high seed. Like the team in every the game, team in twenty twenty one quad one or quad two games. So yeah, yeah. There's no but West Virginia is done with bad losses. The rest of the games are going to be quad one quad two games. The twenty twenty one team had like nine losses on selection Sunday and they were still a three seed. It was a shortened COVID year, but they still had nine losses and they still got yeah, a high just, seed. So I th- I think you make a really good point about taking care of business on the road, but also if you just look at their schedule, their first four home games are Kansas, Baylor, TCU, and Texas. And those are the four teams besides West Virginia in the top 25, right? Like those are four top 18 teams right now heading into the new year that you have to play within your first four home games of the year. So I, I mean, if you go three and one in that stretch, I would consider that a win. Even two and two probably is a huge victory for the Mountaineers. And then you go into February, and if you can steal, if you can win those first two against Oklahoma, Iowa State, maybe go on the road against Iowa State at the end of the month. There, like you're, you kind of knock out the heavyweights in a sense early on, and you don't really have to play the heavyweights later on in February. So. They might start out slow, but I think they do start picking up wins as we get into the latter part of January and February. Well, a good part about their schedule is, like you said, they knock out the top four teams in the conference at home right away. Then their home schedule gets, quote-unquote, easier. But but in contrast, the road schedule is going to get much worse when they go into Lawrence and Waco in February. I'm pretty sure they go into Austin in February as well. Um but there's pros and cons of this Big 12 schedule. There's no off days. They know that. Um, we know that. There's no off days. Every team's going to have quality wins. And the te- even the teams that lose, though, they're going to have, quote-unquote, quality losses. No team's going to have a bad loss. Every single team in the Big 12 was projected to make the tournament with the exception of Oklahoma State, who was in the bubble. So all 10 teams are tournament-quality uh, teams. Do you think there's a way Big 12 gets nine teams in the field? Do you think that is – like, I just feel like at some point there's going to be a team that starts to struggle and then everyone starts beating that team. And although everyone's capable of beating everyone in this league, at some point there's going to be a couple teams that probably start to start to fall when you get into the thick of things here. So do you think this this league could actually get – eight or nine teams into the tournament? I think the ceiling's eight. I think it's really hard. You're going to have to ask a lot to get nine in. Um, I, I think, think the, the only, only way you get nine in is if you have a very low seed in the Big 12 tournament win the Big 12 tournament. Yeah, yeah. If you have like um, if you have a Cinderella in the Big 12 tournament or if – I think there there's one path like – hypothetically I can think of for them to get nine teams and that's if Kansas is like the only dominating team and you just have a bunch of like 
good but not great teams 10, like from seven yeah, from from two from second rank to ninth ranked you just have a bunch of like mediocre to good teams but no great i think that's one way that if they all beat each other up and yeah if they have like 10 and 8 records or 9 and 9 or whatever 11 and 7 um i think that's one way they could get 9 in it would probably take a miracle but even if they got 8 in 8 would be so impressive that's 8 that's 80% of the league so i i think 8's their ceiling and honestly i don't think it's I don't think it's that far fetched. I think eight eight of these teams have the talent to make the tournament. Um, I think the whole the whole conference, if they were in any other league, would make the tournament. West Virginia. I would even argue last year that West Virginia would make the tournament if they played in any league that wasn't the Big Twelve. Like they had they had the resume, the non conference resume to do it. They had the talent to do it. It's just the talent in the Big Twelve just was not there. So I'm eight teams is their ceiling, and that's nothing to be ashamed of. And if you're West Virginia, you just hope you're one of those eight teams at the end of the day because last year you were on the outside looking in. And I I just I just don't see a scenario where this team who has this much drive, this much to play for, this much desperation in a sense with so many fifth-year guys who are leaders of this team, I just don't see them not making this, the tournament. I think there's going to be a sense of urgency once they hit Big 12 play. And I think if they get embarrassed and one of these games early on, there's going to be a big reality check of, okay, let's lock in. Let's let's do things. Let's move forward. And I'm not saying or expecting that they will get embarrassed. I'm just saying that they have the leadership on this group to turn things around if things do start going south. And that's not something you can say with every team in the country. And they also have the talent to have multiple guys score. They have four guys who average 10 points a game, five if you include Keaty, who's averaging 9-6 right now. So they have a multitude of guys who can do it. They have a multitude of guys who can do it on defense. And then add in, you have Bob Huggins, the Hall of Fame coach. It's it's a it's a recipe that could produce a pretty good season for the Mountaineers. Yeah, I would be shocked if they missed the tournament, honestly. I would, I would yep. be shocked if they lost seven in a row twice again. I I don't see it. It's there's so much there's such a big difference between last year's team and this year's team. It's, it's and not, even it's last not year's even team, close. Like they battled, they battled so many times. Like Against on the road against Kansas, they were what down one or up one at half, something like that. Like they could have beat Iowa State. There was like there was not there was not one game. There was not one game they got blown out from start to finish, except the Kansas game in Kansas City in the Big Twelve tournament. There's not there was not one time where they just got blown out by twenty the entire time. They were hanging at most. It would be like ten to fifteen points down on the road. They would fight, continue to fight, and then eventually they just would fall through. Um, I don't, I don't see this team getting, I don't see this team getting dominated in the Big Twelve. I also think last year's Big Twelve was arguably more power heavy than this year's Big Twelve, just at the top of the conference. So, yeah, I, I would be, I would be stunned if they, if they somehow missed the tournament. I would be. So at at ten and eight, where we both have them finishing, do you think they get? top four in the league you think they can get top four in the league at 10 and 8 you think that's a possibility yeah i, I mean i think they would tie some with with somebody probably but yeah top four in the league if not five they're good i i have them projected to finish middle of the conference whether that's four five or six so 10 and 8 is the record and then i'm sure they'll tie with somebody so four <laughs> five or six they'll be in the middle tier like, yeah yeah they'll, it'll, they'll probably be like 
Oklahoma or somebody. They're tied with at the end of the year. But I appreciate you coming on, Ethan. Once again, joined by Ethan Bach. Give him a follow on Twitter if you don't already. Most of you who listen to this probably definitely already follow him. I believe it was, what, Ethan Bach underscore, correct? Correct. Yeah, Ethan Bach. So E-T-H-A-N-B-O-C-K underscore. Give him a follow. Appreciate you, my friend, for coming on. Uh, and that will wrap this up. If you made it this far, I do appreciate you listening. Uh, once again, I am Wesley Shoemaker. Today, I was joined by Ethan Bach, and this is the Blue Gold Sports Podcast.